Amen. Remain standing for our scripture reading. This morning I would like to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel chapter 7 for our Old Testament uh, reading. The book of Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. This prophecy will show you that to, to our Lord Jesus Christ was, was given power and dominion uh, over all nations and languages. I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. Now turn to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 16. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 9 to 20. Mark 16, beginning from verse 9 to 20 that uh, long ending of the Gospel of Mark. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive, and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form of two of them, in another form to two of them, as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpent, serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying 
science, the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we now come to this long ending of the Gospel of Mark, we ask you, Lord, once again to give us insight into your holy word so that each and every one of us, as we sit under the proclamation of your word, we would see more of Jesus in the pages of the scripture. O oh Lord, speak to your people this morning through this concluding part of the Gospel of Mark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, our journey through the Gospel of Mark will come to an end. And do you know how long it took us to arrive here? I checked it with Doug yesterday, and it took us two full years and eight months. By Sundays, 118 Sundays. So we have been in the Gospel of Mark for a long, long period of time. And it's my hope and prayer that this book has been of great blessing to all of you. Now, in case if some of you are thinking, according to the footnote in chapter 16, after verse 8, the information that you see in the bracket, we should have concluded Mark last Sunday on verse 8. Because the footnote says some of the earliest Manuscripts do not include verses 9 to 20 of chapter 16. So the question is, should, shouldn't we uh, stop in verse 8? Are the verses in verse 9 to 20 part of the inspired Word of God? Are they authentic? Are they the authoritative Word of God. Well, this morning I will not take your time in discussing the history of textual criticism behind the argument that Mark did not write this portion of the Gospel of Mark from verse 9 to 20. What I would like to do before I preach from this long ending of the Gospel of Mark is to give you some legitimate, logical reasons for why we should accept verses 9 to 20 as part of the Holy Scripture. First, the majority Bible scholars and church fathers believe that Mark 16, 9 to 20 is undeniably early and is present in 99% of the ancient manuscripts. Secondly, except the issue of drinking a deadly poison, mentioned in verse 18, which is widely understood as a metaphor for evil spirits or the work of darkness in this, in this life or on earth. 
other portions of the Gospel of Mark, this ending, the, the, the ending of the Gospel of Mark, is consistent with the other portions of the New Testament. And then thirdly, everything that we read and see in verse 9 to 20 is also believed by the majority, Bible, the majority of Bible scholars as apostolic. So we, because of all these reasons, we should accept Mark 16, 16 9 to 20 as inspired word of God. That's why I'm preaching to all of you. And then the other thing that I want to mention to all of you, as you will hear from God's word this morning, these verses from verse 9 to 20 will shade more light to us about the power of Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being the power for the Great Commission. I always say to myself, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave birth to the Great Commission. Without the power of Christ's resurrection, Great Commission will be in vain. And you find that in here. So it is useful. It is the Word of God. Now, for those of you who by nature are timekeepers, I want to remind you that I am starting preaching right now. <laughs> and we would consider our text this morning under three headings. I know who you are. First, we will consider a call to believe in verse 9 to 16. And then secondly, a command to go. You will find that in verse 15 to 19. And then thirdly, a sure promise for those who go. Verse 17 to 20. So first, consider with me a command to believe. You remember last Sunday, the woman who visited the tomb, they um, finished their visit with this remark in chapter 16, verse uh, 10. This is Mary, uh, these are the women who came to the tomb. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, last Sunday I reminded you that that's, that's not what really happened with the women. In Matthew 28, verse 8, Matthew tells us that they actually obeyed. They actually went to the disciples, and in Matthew 28, 8, 28, 8 Matthew tells us, so they departed quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, and told the disciples what they had been told to tell them by the angel. They told them, our teacher, our master, is risen from the dead. But the issue, my brothers and sisters in Christ here, was unbelief. 
And because of that unbelief, you see, the woman came and told the disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead. We saw him by our own eyes. The angel told us, we saw the, we saw the empty tomb. He's risen. But no one would believe them. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus made his own appearances to these different groups. First, verse 9 to uh, 11, you will see that he again appeared to Mary Magdalene. And she saw him. And she went, uh, but, uh, but, and she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. You know, they were broken heart. They were in, dis- uh, in despair. They were mourning and weeping because they lost a savior. They lost a teacher. And Mary comes and she told, she told them, I saw him. He's risen. They would not believe her. Beloved, do you see this unbelief? The problem of unbelief. And ask this question. Why do you think they refused to believe Mary Magdalene. I'll give you two reasons this morning. First, she was a woman. In ancient Israel, a testimony from a woman was not valid. And because of that, because of how they viewed women at that time, they, they refused to believe her testimony. You see, because of their culture, because of their tradition and their view of women, their, their eyes were guarded from seeing the power of Christ's resurrection in the life of these women. And there was another reason, you see. She was a demon-possessed woman. And in their view, she was a woman who was not uh, 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 mentally stable. So these men, when they, when they heard the news from the news of Christ's resurrection from Mary Magdalene, they purposely and intentionally refused to believe. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. You see, what Mary received in her life was mercy. And through God's mercy, she was born again. And then Peter said, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. She came and stood before this man with a living hope. New life and a living hope. And she was telling them, look at me. Look who I was and who I am now and what news I'm bringing to you. He's risen. He's risen. They wouldn't believe. Let me ask you this. Maybe you you had people in your life whom you uh, considered as not worthy to receive anything from them. How can this man, how can this woman, I, I know him, I know her, I know his story, the story of his life. How can this person 
share the good news of the gospel with me. So you refuse it. You reject it to hear. You reject to believe. You refuse to believe the testimony of someone who has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone who has become a new creature in Jesus Christ. And this person stands before you or he meets you or she meets you with a living hope because of the risen Lord. And you refuse to believe. That's exactly what they did. They refused to believe. The reason was unbelief. And their unbelief was the result of fear. Mark 14, 50. And they all all, uh, left him and fled. Jesus told them, a time will come that you will fall away. And you will leave me. You will be scattered because of the fear of the Jews. Beloved, let me ask you this. Is the fear of God's enemies, the enemies of your faith, the enemies of your Christian value, causing you to doubt on the power of Christ's resurrection? Even the power of this culture, as you consider it. You see hundreds of men and women in in, in our world today, in our culture today, affirming sin and wickedness and and you, and you go but there are many in number maybe they are more powerful than us not powerful than the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that resurrection has brought into your life as a christian and then secondly he appeared to the two disciples who were traveling to Emmaus. And you remember what happened? He, he, he revealed himself to them. They were slow to recognize him, slow to believe in Christ's resurrection. And then after he revealed himself to them and they recognized him, they changed their course. And they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to the disciples. And listen to what uh, the Gospel of Mark tells us here. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Imagine, these are not even women. Do you see what the problem here is? It's unbelief. It is not lack of information. It is not lack of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is unbelief. Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 1 tells us this. And was declared to this. Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Jesus was declared 
Not only uh, as someone who died for the forgiveness of our sins, but also someone who was raised from the dead for our justification. And these two disciples brought this news to these men, and they refused to believe. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's calling this man, he's calling people to believe. To believe in what? To believe in his resurrection. In Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 9, listen to Paul. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Paul was very clear that believers, people who hear the gospel being proclaimed to them, that call it to believe in the one who died for them, but also the one who raised for their justification. The third appearance was very interesting. It was to the eleven disciples. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they went reclining at the table. As they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Jesus himself had to come to the disciples. Imagine what is about to come. What is about to come is the Great Commission. He's going to send them to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the word of God to all people, to all nations. But before he does that, he calls them to faith. He calls them to believe. Now, these are the 11 disciples. They have seen a lot. They have seen Jesus performing miracles. They have done miracles themselves. Now when it comes to the fact of Christ's resurrection, they were unwilling to believe. They refused to believe. You know, there are people who still say that the reason why the disciples believed in the story of Christ's resurrection was because they were uneducated people. They were men who can be deceived very easily. They were not like us. We are educated people. We reason. We are rational people. They were not men like that. So when, uh, when the women and, and other wit- witnesses told them, his reason, his reason, at some point they believed it because they were foolish. Who would believe in a story like that? People still you know, make that argument. But they believe it not because they were easily deceived people, but because of the power of Christ's resurrection. And the problem still was unbelief. You see, Jesus rebuked them for what? He rebuked them for for their unbelief, but also the hardness of their heart. And let me show you this in Luke 24, 10 and 11. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, 
and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. They told them. They came and they told them. They heard them. Now listen to this. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, nonsense, and they did not believe them. They reasoned. They listened, they heard the, the report, and then they reasoned. They were rational people. But it was unbelief. They determined not to believe in Christ's resurrection. The problem was unbelief. The problem was not lack of information. Thomas, one of the disciples, Remember what he said when the other disciples told him he was here, he's risen. Thomas said, unless I, see in his, I, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, truly, I will never believe. I will never believe. When Jesus came to Thomas in person as the risen Lord, he told him, Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen me, but have believed. Why did you doubt about my resurrection, Thomas? You should believe. Beloved, unbelief. Now, imagine you receiving the great commission to go and proclaim the gospel to all nations with unbelief. Imagine. Imagine that taking place in your life as a Christian, as a preacher. I told you last Sunday, and I will repeat it again, there are preachers today who stands in the pulpit Sunday after Sunday who doesn't believe in Christ's resurrection. But they still preach. Think about that. And Jesus never wanted, you see, to bring his disciples to, uh, to, the, uh, to the stage in their life where they will receive the Great Commission with unbelief. He had to call them to believe first. And that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what he did with his church, you and I. If we don't believe in Christ's resurrection, in the power of his resurrection... We will never take the gospel to the nations effectively. If we are still doubting whether he was raised from the dead or not, whether we have that power that Christ gave to his church, then we will not be passionate and committed to the Great Commission because we don't sense the power of his resurrection. But notice what Jesus did. A command to go. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now imagine, who was standing before his disciples? Just picture that. Who was standing before them? To uh, giving them this great commission. Of course he was Jesus. But the change now is, the change now is, the one who was standing before them was the risen king, the risen Lord. 
You go to Matthew 18 and read the, the parallel of the Great Commission. Where Jesus told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go to all people. Go to all nations. Make them disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Who is standing before them? The one who raised it from the dead? The one who defeated the power of death and hell? The risen king, the risen Lord was standing before them? Imagine how they were feeling now. Oh, he's here. He's risen. All authority has been given to him. And he's given the same authority to us. This is the reason, Lord. Is that how you feel about the Great Commission? You see, familiarity is always a danger. We're very familiar with the Great Commission. But do we really understand its power? Do we really understand that we have that power in us as the church of Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter whether we are big in number or not. As far as we are the church of Jesus Christ, the gathering of God's people, as the local church, we have received this great commission from the risen Lord. And it's our duty to go. To go where? Listen. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We stand from this pulpit and we do what I'm doing this morning. We proclaim the word of God to God's people. We proclaim the word of God to sinners who happen to be in our worship service so that they would hear the gospel and come to faith. We send missionaries to all these nations where we have our missionaries. Why do we send them to all these nations? Great Commission. Now, do we send them only with funds and with our prayers? No, we send them with this power. This power of Christ's resurrection. To proclaim the gospel. This is the universal call of the gospel to all people who must repent and believe. You see, beloved, the church's chief mission is to proclaim the gospel. It is the prime mission of the church. The prime duty of the church is to proclaim the gospel to call people to faith and repentance. Listen to Matthew 4.4. 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, this physical bread, this temporal bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But how is this word proclaimed? Through the preaching of the word of God. Through the Great Commission. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see why we put so much emphasis on the preaching of the word of God. You see why, why the preaching of the word of God is central to our worship service. 
why it takes most of the time in our worship service. Romans 1.16 And I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You see, beloved, the Great Commission is accompanied by Jesus' authority. That authority that his father gave him to give it to, to give it to his church so that the church would take the gospel to all people. Now notice what is expected. Listen to God's word here. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now you all know, at least most of you know, that verse 16 has been a point of uh, great controversy for centuries. Especially in relation to the place of baptism in salvation. For those who want to argue that baptism is a, requir a requirement for salvation, the, formil the, the formi formula always is, if you believe in Christ, but you don't get baptized, you are not saved. You have heard that so many times. They say, therefore, if you believe, but do not be baptized, you are not being saved. Now, question to all of you. Look at verse 16. And he said to them, go into all the... Uh, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, d does anyone of you see baptism in the second part of the verse? You don't see that, do you? What you see in the second part of the verse is, whoever does not believe will be condemned. It is not, whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. That's not what verse 16 is saying. You see, in the early church, if a person hears the gospel and believes in Jesus Christ, it was assumed that that person will be baptized. Not as a cause of salvation, but as a confirmation of his obedience to Jesus Christ. As a confirmation that he has identified himself with Jesus Christ. Not as a cause, but as a confirmation. A person is saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. And you, you go to other parts of the scripture... And isn't that what you see? The thief on the cross was not baptized. He believed in Jesus Christ and he became the child of God while he was still on the cross. Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. How? By faith. If baptism was a requirement for salvation, Jesus would never contradict with his own teaching. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was saved by faith without being baptized. 
The moment he heard the gospel, he believed it. The gift of the Holy Spirit came upon him. He became the child of God by faith. Is baptism necessary? Yes. We have commanded to baptize people. But it is not a requirement for salvation. Abraham was not baptized. He was justified by faith without being circumcised or baptized. Go to Romans chapter 4. The two great men who are mentioned in relation to justification by faith alone are Abraham and David. And they both were justified, saved by faith alone. So we take, the, you see, we take the gospel to all people, to all nations, proclaim the word of God so that people would believe. And now notice carefully. Jesus said, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. And that brings us to the sure promise for those who go. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And they drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now we see all these signs and wonders. Promise it to who? To all believers? If you search the scripture carefully, they were promised to the apostles. In Acts 5.12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They will cast demons, Matthew 10, 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Who are these apostles? They will speak in new tongues. Read Acts chapter 2. They spoke in new tongues. Different languages as the demonstration of them being used by the power of the Holy Spirit. To point people to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. They will pick up serpents. Paul in Malta, in Acts 28, 1 to 6, he had that experience. This is what the Word of God tells us. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, a snake, came out because of the heat and fastened it on his hand. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, know this. Paul was not looking for a snake. For a reckless spiritual exercise. Today, you have services in America where, you know, preachers bring snakes and pass the snakes to the people. And the report we hear about the outcome of those meetings is terrible. Preachers being killed by snakes. This is not why these signs and wonders are here. These are apostolic signs. They are 
restricted and reserved for the apostles so that they would open an opportunity of the preaching of the gospel to all the nations. Now, we might ask, what about us? What about drinking poison? You know, it's a metaphor. You know, God will protect you. Whatever you encounter, whatever you face in this life, according to His will, God will protect you. Read Psalm 91, verse 1 to 6. We don't have time now, but you will see how God will protect His children from all kinds of pestilence and terrors. What about us? What signs and wonders follow us? Well, listen to Jesus. In Luke 10, 20, the, some of his disciples came to him and they, they told to Jesus, they told Jesus, even demons subjected to us. It was a wonderful mission. And Jesus told them, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice, rejoice in this miracle, in this sign, in this wonder, that your name are written in heaven. Consider a miracle, a sign, a wonder with your name being written in the book of life. It's miraculous. And John 14, 12, Jesus gave this promise to all his followers. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me, the works I do, shall he, does, he do also. And greater works than this Shall he do? Because I will go to the Father. What Jesus was saying here is, the church, you, my church, will go to the world, preach the gospel. People will be converted. People will come to faith and repentance. Now, listen to the conclusion of Mark 16. So then, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now listen to this. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is pastors. To the, to the apostles. Pastors. He confirmed their messages by science. But what is beautiful here is the fact that Jesus went up to heaven, back to heaven, and sat on the right hand of God. Why? Because, you see, priests in Israel, they would sit after they finish their service, their ministry, and Jesus fulfilled the work of redemption. Gave the great commission to his church. Go! And then he went back to his father and took the place of glory because he fulfilled his work on behalf of his people. Let me ask you this. Do you really believe in the reason Lord, do you believe in the risen Lord? Do you share the gospel with other people believing in the power of his resurrection? Believing 
that what you share with other people is accompanied with the power of Christ's resurrection. And if God wills, it will change them. It will change them forever. Do you believe in the risen Lord? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark and how you fed us, how you instructed us, how you encouraged us, how you edified your people through this book. Thank you for the strengths, the privilege, the health, everything that you have given us in order to start this book and finish it today. Use it in our life. This, use, use this book in our life for the sanctification of our own Christian life, for our encouragement to believe in the power of Christ's resurrection and to take the gospel to all nations, calling people to faith and repentance. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.